Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Soleil Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. is the Annex Wealth Management Show on WHBY. Know the difference. It's team, technology, trust. Now, here's your host, Danny Clayton. Afternoon, everybody. Here we go. It is a Thursday. It is November, guys. Welcome to November. Uh, Mark Oswald, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Felsky, good afternoon. And, uh, and uh, Dennis Johnson, good afternoon. Here we are. Wasn't it a week ago that we were talking about crazy market volatility and is it less volatile this week or just as, or where are we, de- Derek? Well, you know, that's really funny, guys, because, you know, it's one of the, it's been the bugaboo, the kind of buzzword for some time now is volatility. First, we had a lack of volatility, and, you know, every month, <laughs> and you had a lot of people out there who were saying, you know, I'd like to look at an entry point, someplace to put some cash to work, or, or maybe even people who, you know, came out of the 2008 crisis and never got back into their 401k. And now we've got nothing but volatility, Derek, and there's a lot of things that are causing that, but... But, you know, we look at it as an opportunity in a lot of cases to maybe make some changes to your portfolio. No, I, I certainly view it that way, Mark. I mean, we've talked often about the average volatility for the market on the VIX, the fear gauge, is around 20, and that's basically around where we've been trading recently. So this is really normal volatility relative to what we saw in the past when the Fed was basically pushing down rates on naturally low levels. Uh, and But the thing I'd, I'd caution most people, everyone's talking about peak this and peak that. It is peak GDP growth, but it's not peak GDP. It's, Explain it's, that. Explain that. Because GDP is a measure of the growth of the economy. So when we're talking about an economy growing, you look at gross domestic product. What is the value of, of goods and services that are produced in the United States? So when you're talking about GDP growth, you're talking about a growing economy. Right. I'm talking about year-over-year growth rate. So, for example, we grew at 4.2% in, in Q2. We grew at 3.5% in Q3. So that's a lower number than Q2, but it's still a positive number. And the same thing is true with corporate earnings. Earnings growth peaked in the second quarter. It's still We're still going to see about a 23 to 24% rate of growth in earnings for the S&P 500 in Q3. And next quarter, it looks like 20. So you could say... Earnings per share growth has peaked, but earnings per share have not. And that's the important point, because with this recent correction in stock prices, we're down to a a below average valuation with interest rates at a below average nominal yield. And I think the important part, too, for people to understand is you're comparing to the previous year. So when we went through some bad earnings years, we had earnings recession where earnings were going down for companies. It's not that they weren't making money. They were just making less money. And now you've got companies where the bar was set so low, now earnings have gone up by 20% because they've gone off that low bar. Now next year you have a higher threshold that you have to beat. So it doesn't mean that you're still not making money. It doesn't mean that you're still not making more money. It's just that the growth rate is naturally going to be slower. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's happened too, Mark, is you know throughout the year international markets dramatically lag the U.S. stock market. And as a result, investors who chase performance basically would dump their international holdings and pile into the S&P 500, pile into Apple and Netflix and Google and the rest, driving that index to record highs, and, and basically created what I would argue is somewhat of an unstable situation, an unstable 
uh, performance disparity between, say, growth stocks and value stocks, between U.S. stocks and international stocks. And what I see happening right now is basically a classic rotation out of the former leaders and into other areas of the market that we're going to hopefully pick off tactically. So when you look at the typical investor out there, you know, a guy who's or gal who's working in, you know, Kimberly Clark or or, you know, Thriven or something like that, you, you, you know, an employer here in town, they're looking at it right now and saying, should I be making changes to my portfolio? Am I too heavy in U.S. domestic companies? Should we be looking at emerging markets? Other things that are available, bonds versus stocks, as simple as that, fixed income versus equity. What changes are you recommending right now with our investment committee for our investors? I know we've made some changes in our portfolio the last couple of weeks, and they've paid off. Right. They have. And, and frankly, what we did today was we actually raised some more cash, expecting Apple's results to be somewhat disappointing, not because the company isn't doing well, not because they're not growing at a record rate. It's just that it's an overowned stock. It does have valuation backing, but we just feel like we're going to use this cash and redeploy it in areas of the market that are underowned. Talk about Apple because, uh, you know, their news came out, guys, in about the last hour here. And uh, it's hard to fathom. It's a head-scratcher, right? <laughs> I mean, you sell 46.9 million units of something in the quarter. I don't care if it's widgets or footballs so or iPhones. 325 people in the United States. I mean, don't, 325 we, all million, have, right? don't we all have phones by now? Right? Exactly. And, and part of it, though, is the penetration into the emerging markets, is the question for Apple becomes, can they continue to sell into specifically China? Well, the, the Chinese growth rate, I think I heard, was about 16%, which I was surprised. I thought that would be a higher number than that. Uh, but basically, the, the issue that Apple has is simply the law of large numbers. The bigger you get, the harder it is to grow. And in order to continue to grow, you have to continue to innovate. And some of the bears on Apple will say, what was the last time Apple really innovated on anything? I mean, the watch, okay, I guess you could say that. But that's, a, that's small potatoes relative to the iPhone. In the short term, how does a company, that's a trillion-dollar company like Apple, if it's down 4% in the post market today, and who knows what's going to happen overnight, right? Can we expect to see the S&P 500 and the Dow down tomorrow based on the Apple's results? I, I, well, right now we're, it's indicated to be down. Not a, not a lot. I mean, right. we, remember, we've had a huge rally. We rallied from basically 2,600 on the S&P at the lows on uh, Monday to 2,740 close today. That's almost a 5% move in two and a half days. So there's going to be some profit taking. There are some technical resistance levels that the chartists like to talk about that are right just above where we are sitting. The 200-day moving average, for example, is at 275 on the S&P. We closed at 274. So those that believe that will view this as another opportunity to reduce exposure because they think the 200-day is, is the line of demarcation. Uh, the Dow, on the other hand, closed back above the 200-day yesterday and continued to move higher today. So, you know, there's technical analysis, there's algorithms, there's program trading. And what, what I think you do at this point is you look at the companies that have reported, the ones that actually beat estimates and raise guidance. For example, another company that reported after the close was Starbucks, a great right. number. Yep. Stock's up about 7 8%. No one's talking about that. But it's also not the largest market cap weighting in the S&P 500, which is why you'd expect the S&P to be under some pressure tomorrow morning. Got about 30 seconds left in this segment, guys. You talked about revenue beating, profits beating, and uh, earnings beating, and and still the stock got beat up after market. But this is a short-term blip, right? I mean, this is not something where, where you run out and sell your Apple shares 
or your tech stocks in your portfolio because they're going to hold up over the long term. No, and the other thing about Apple was it was the guidance that disturbed people. That's right. And, and basically, they always underpromised with the hopes of out over over delivering. Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer at Annex Wealth. Uh, AnnexWealth.com is our website. Forty three twenty one College Avenue in Appleton, and our number there is nine zero three ninety eight hundred. Still to come, if you are taking care of kids and aging parents, we have a segment for you about the sandwich generation. That is on the way. Also, why would you kind of sign away the rights to your house? It's, it's, we, that's uh, from an Ask Annex. We're going to tackle that. That's uh, quite a topic. And then year-end tax planning. It's all coming up. It is the Annex Wealth Management Show, WHBY. Know the difference. Team. Technology. Trust. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show on WHBY. Here's Danny Clayton. Annex Wealth Management, also a CFP and a CDFA. Did you add anything else in? No, no. No, okay. We're going to talk about the sandwich generation. Boy, I'm in it. You're in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, 40, maybe 50-year-olds, and we're caught in a sandwich between kids that we might be helping and parents that need help. Right. So we really are literally stuck between, uh, they could be minor children still at home because people are having kids later in life. And then, of course, there's the aging population. This is not new. We've always had parents and we've always had kids. But it seems that either the millennials are moving back home or our parents are running into ailments. We're hit on both fronts. So remember back in the 70s, rocking chair retirement, people would retire at 65, actuarially live another five to seven years. And that's oh, it. Yep. Now it's 20 to 30. So we're seeing people who are trying to age in place in their home. Sometimes that doesn't work. It seems like several generations ago, you might have had a stay-at-home parent, right? And so then taking care of the kids, whether they're in the nest or reflown back in and the parents might not be as difficult. Flash forward to this generation of 40 to 60 year olds, however, and you've got a generation of people where usually both adults in the household work. So then how do you balance the work life when all of a sudden you have an aging parent who needs your attention? Well, you and I have both been there this year. Right. And it's tough. I think it's tougher with uh, dealing with your parents than it is with your kids. It is a little easier. So let's start there. First off, people are having children a little later in life. So what we're seeing as financial planners is people might walk into the door and say, hey, I've got this nest egg built up for my retirement. And guess what? I'm retiring right on the cusp of my kid going to college. Now what do I do? And a lot of people will come in with the feeling that, gee, I I feel I'd like to take care of my kids' college. That is very honorable. It's very wonderful, but it requires planning. And you definitely want to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Danny, I've had to have the uncomfortable conversation saying, well, you can pay for your grad school for your children all the way up through their PhD, but is their house going to be big enough that you can live there too? Mm. Speaking of them living there, now (laughs) they get out and they move back in. That's another issue. The kids who've flown the coop and flown the nest and then come back in, there tends to be this parental feel of still, we want to help them, right? So, so when a kid comes back in, I've heard and seen the tendency to say, well, I don't want to charge them for rent because they're helping out around the house. I say, eh, thanks for playing at that one. I am totally with you. We had one of our sons that moved back in. We charged him rent. We didn't charge him full, full, full rent, like, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars But we charged him some because he needed to have some skin in the game. He did. And so as a financial planner, I can tell you, in any 
agreement. And this really, when you are charging somebody, especially when there is no arm's length, which means, you know, they're your family, right? There's sentiment, there's emotion involved to that. You're always best coming in with an agreement. And we advocate a written agreement. Sit down and write out expectations on both sides, because I'm sure as you found out, those grown boys can eat a lot too. So the food factor, that in of itself, your costs can go up. Nothing like when they're in high school. All right, let's talk about caring for aging parents. Okay. So the aging parent also brings up the emotion. You know, we feel, gee, our parents took care of us. It's our job to take care of them, which is very true. Statistically, however, according to the Alzheimer's Association, there are actually, Danny, more than 16 million Americans that are providing unpaid care for family members. Two thirds of those are women. We've already discussed women are pretty fully in the job place. What do you do when all of a sudden you need to take off for mom's medical appointments or the emergency phone calls that you get? You know, the mom fell and now you're looking at a hospitalization and a rehab. Sometimes people see dollar signs, but in cases like this, we tend to see time off as the big flashing red number. And that takes negotiation with maybe your HR department. You know, before you just say, I got to quit my job, have a conversation. Maybe you can take a medical leave of absence. I would encourage you to re-engage your siblings out there and your adult children. I've had people come to us and say, my siblings live out of state. They can't help. Yeah, they can. They can get on the internet. They can do research for you. They can make the phone calls. In fact, some of the phone calls that I've seen and found helpful, Danny, is just asking my sister, I need you to be the person to call mom every day. That's your contribution. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 425 WHBY Annex Wealth Management Show. Deanne Phillips, she's good at what she does. I'm Danny Clayton. Uh, Dennis Johnson is here and Mark Oswald. Mark, uh, you're kind of sort of in that sandwich, though. you you got some boys, you're raising them, and, and I know that you're involved with your mom yeah, as well. for yeah. sure. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of us, Dennis, that have been kind of caught in that in that spot, and, and uh, you know, it's part of a planning thing for sure, and I'm sure that you're seeing that here in our in our offices in the Valley where people are coming in kind of in that dilemma that, that Deanne's been talking about. Yeah, quite a coincidence, Mark. Actually, today we had some folks come in, and that was the main topic of concern. You know, it... The, the awkward situation for them is that, uh, you know, mom is aging. You know, we're glad mom's still with us at 95. It's amazing. Uh, but yet the, the kids just graduated college, and they thought this was their opportunity to start saving. And the financial plan and all those different things we were going through, we actually had to slow the process down, reevaluate the financial plan, do some editing, do some creative discussions on how we're going to now take care of mom. You know, there's those uh, Medicaid facilities. There's those different places that they were considering, and they looked at them, and they say they said, no, not for my mother, although those are pretty nice places. But so, so Mark, as you know, uh, they uh, the, the financial planning is very, very important. Stay on top of that, to have those re- reoccurring meetings with the advisor, such as the, the comprehensive process that we offer, which is the Know Your Difference. So please go to our website. You'll see... Uh, they know the difference. It's very important to understand how we are different than other locations. Well, I think one of the differences there, uh, Dennis, is is the fact that these that our plans are not. It's not what did you used to say by the pound? Yeah, Mark? Plan, planning sure. by the pound because so they're living and breathing. So as things change, the plan changes, and that's what we do. You know, a couple of things strike me, Dennis, as as part of that story is that you know there's the 
there's the sanitized numbers, right? There's the there's the plan that we used to provide, the big written leather bound thing that was like, here is your plan, like it came down <laughs> off of Mount Sinai, right? And 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 that was it. But there's really an emotional element to this as well. Is you know when you look at facilities and say this is the facility that I want to take care of my parents. Or you're looking at colleges for for the younger generation and saying, can we afford this? Welcome a lot to of times, yeah. Right? A lot of times right. that that emotion that it becomes an emotional decision, and then your your financial decision is then, you know, impacted by that emotional decision. Sometimes you have to reverse those things and make sure you're taking care of the financial end of it first, and then coping with the with the emotional side of it. You know, we have to identify, you know, that emotional part is very important. When we were going through that financial plan today, it did turn out that we couldn't help mom all the way that she wanted to be helped. You know, we're going to have to rely on some other resources. So, uh, you know, sometimes they're hard discussions and sometimes they're, you know, this is wonderful. I get to do this for my mother and I'm very happy that I'm able to do this. Uh, So, uh, you know, it can be, it can go either way, but the plan drives the whole process. We look at how the cash flow is going to look. You know, sometimes when it comes to the cash flow, I think back to being on an airplane, you know, you want to put that oxygen on yourself first and then those other folks. But on the other hand, there's the emotional side. And sometimes that is what drives most of our, some of our financial plans. So once we get through the cash flow, we then get into the tax planning. And uh, speaking of tax planning, we're going to be hearing from Mandy Nelshinsky here in just a little bit. She is just phenomenal when it comes to identifying year-end tax planning. And that's what we're also going through a little bit right now, too. We discussed a little bit of the year-end tax planning, uh, Roth conversions, et cetera. Very exciting, very interesting stuff here at the end of the end of the year. You know, to your point, Danny, too, is that, you know, when we have people come in, Dennis, and they're sitting with us in our offices, we've, we've invested a lot in technology. We're going to be moving to a new facility in the Appleton area at the beginning of next year, and it is going to be a high-tech experience. And the, the reason is, is because these plans are dynamic. It's not just set it and forget it because mom gets healthy. Mom, you know, she gets better and she gets worse. And so, you know, you can say, what if we're able to do some home care? What if we're able to do some other things? Those what if scenarios that you do in a financial plan in a dynamic meeting where you can utilize technology and say, what if by moving this toggle one year or the other, or making an assumption one way or the other, it changes a financial plan. That's the essence of financial planning these days is dynamic, moving, evolving financial planning. Amen, brother. I've just gone through it myself and, and signing up. In fact, if you're listening anywhere and it's just not convenient for you to come in, you can use Annex everywhere. I just use it with the DocuSign program. It's fantastic. It's really good. So again, more details at AnnexWealth.com. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, Coming up, should you be uh, giving away the house? Uh, it, it's an interesting and a very, very topical um discussion that we're going to have next with Joe Martin, who is our estate planner. Annex Wealth Management Show on WHBY. Know the difference. Team. Technology. Trust. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show on WHBY. Here's Danny Clayton. It's time for Ask Annex, and we would love for you to submit your questions at AnnexWealth.com slash ask, and that's where this one comes from. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney from Annex Wealth Management. You've had three of these this week. I have. All right, let's get to it. What are the tax consequences of giving your house to your children to avoid having it, quote, taken away 
And then what happens if it needs to be sold while you're still alive? So kind of give us some context there. Sure. So multiple components of that. Taken away is where we're trying to plan to make sure that the value of that house doesn't have to be spent down before someone qualifies for Medicaid. You have to have certain asset qualifications and income limitations before you qualify for Medicaid, which is the government program for long-term care. So what people do is is they plan to try and make sure they're saving assets or ensuring that they're going to go to the next generation so they don't have to be spent down prior to that. So let me put that in context. So Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. My mother today is 80, coming up on 81 next month. Happy birthday in advance. And, you know, she owns two homes. And one here in Wisconsin and one in Florida that she bought along with my dad when my dad was still alive. So the question would be, in the event that she gets sick, Jill, in the event that she needs to go into a long-term care facility, or even if she needs care at home, she wouldn't be eligible to do that until she would spend down a certain amount of assets. And I think people perceive that as having had one of the houses or both of the houses taken away from them. What's really happening is they're trying to get to that asset and income threshold so that they're eligible for benefits. Correct. And so what happens is, is it's not the government taking it away per se, but what it is is you have to spend down the value of that on your care first and foremost before that governmental benefit kicks in. So one of the things we're exploring right now is putting the houses into an irrevocable trust. Essentially, she gives those houses away forever. Is that one of the strategies that you could employ? It is. The thing you have to be careful with, and even if it's in a trust or it's outright to your children, is as Medicaid has this five-year look back. So they're going to look at whatever you did during the five years prior to when you're trying to qualify for those benefits. So being proactive about this is a really key component. So if she did it today, for instance, in 2018, and she needed care a year from now, they'd look back and say, well, you could have used that house even though you gave it away. It's still included in her bucket for the calculation of benefits. Absolutely. So that, that becomes a problem. So when you when you start to do planning with people, you're starting to look at younger and younger people that are looking at this as a strategy because of that gift and contemplation rule. Absolutely. So when is the time to do this? Well, it, it, you, you look at things and say, well, what, what's my health, right? For my family, at least, the question was, 
it's going to go to the kids anyways. Why don't we at some point in time look at retitling these houses or putting them into trust for benefit of the children because when something ultimately does happen to both of my parents, we were going to get those houses anyways. The benefit of doing it this way, Jill, would be to avoid the possibility of a rushed sale, one of the houses having to be sold to create income to pay for the nursing home. Absolutely. And the thing that we talk to clients a lot about is is what they're doing, though, is, is they're giving that away. Whether it's a house or it's a brokerage account or something that they're trying to give away, the question is, is are they comfortable parting with that asset and that value? Because that may have an impact on their financial plan in another way that's detrimental. Is that the holdback for some people? I mean, you look at some families that have maybe a second marriage or, or a, maybe a marriage within the children that's maybe not as solid as some other marriages. And there's a fear that giving it away forever might mean giving it away forever? Absolutely. You know, People work hard for their wealth that they've developed, and all of a sudden to just give it away and not have any strings where they could pull it back is a very hard decision because for some of us, it might be that $5,000 is a lot to give away, but for others, it might be 500000 Everybody's financial plan is in such a different place. That dollar amount is different for everyone. One of the questions I always get from people is, what is that threshold? Where, what's that dollar amount? How much can I have? Can I keep my primary home? Is it $50,000 or is it $20,000? Or how much income can I have before I'm no longer eligible for benefits? So Medicaid, it's, it's, there are a lot of specific rules about it, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that. <laughs> so you know, it's one of those things where we have a group of elder law attorneys that we work with that are really, really skilled in knowing all of the rules and the ins and outs of what those eligibility requirements are. It's like most things, of course, you know, it it goes into a planning concept. It's something we do with our contacts in the community, elder law people, certainly Jill, you're involved in that stuff on day by day basis with our clients when they come in for review meetings. Part of the planning process, if you haven't done it, it's certainly a conversation to be had. Certainly when you get to a certain point in life and you have assets and you want to make sure that you're protecting those assets, this is a strategy worth looking at. Thank you, Mark Oswald. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. 440 WHBY. It is the Annex Wealth Management Show. Welcome to November, everybody. I'm Danny Clayton. There's Mark Oswald. Yeah, you know, you know, just following up on that conversation, you know, and thank you, Jill. Um, you know, th- for a lot of people, I think they look at this conversation about estate planning as a as a personal conversation. So, I mean, for a lot of families, the decision of taking that irrevocable trust or retitling an asset is a really difficult conversation. So, it's not for everybody. You know, for a lot of people, the best course of action is to get long-term care insurance. And there's a number of ways to do that. You can do that just straight, you know, get get a long-term care insurance policy. Do that when you're younger than when you're older. Uh, they're much much more affordable, and you're, you're more likely to get through the underwriting process. Now there's life insurance policies, too, that will pay a death benefit as a long-term care insurance benefit. So you're basically taking an advance on a death benefit to pay for long-term care insurance. So that's a way to go, too. For a lot of people, they look at this as a personal choice and say, if I can cure this without going on to Medicaid, and Dennis kind of brought this up earlier, you know, in Medicaid is a government program, right? And it's taxpayer funded. So for a lot of people, they say, well, why should the taxpayer pay for my parent to go into long-term care when she owns two houses or whatever that case might be, right? I mean, there is a moral piece of this as well from a taxpayer standpoint. So, you know, there's a lot of different strategies there, but it's a personal decision on how you want to address that because the the quality of the facility, when you look at the Medicaid program versus private insurance, is different. 
when you look at all of those strategies that go into it, you have to be mindful of the fact of what you're doing and what the purpose is of what you're doing. So that five-year look back is an important consideration. It used to be three years. It's now five years, the gift and contemplation rule. And then there's the moral piece of it. Do you you want to be on a government assistance program or do you want to self-insure through long-term care insurance or through a life insurance policy? A lot of people are going to choose that latter choice, which is to insure for their own benefit so they can make their own choices when they get to that crossroad. It, it is a tough conversation, and it, it, it really is, and it gets back to the when we talked with Deanna a little bit earlier with the sandwich generation. Uh, there needs to be a point when I know that with with my dad, and it was probably with you, with your dad as well, but he was in the business, right? He was in the he, he was in the financial business. But with my dad, I, I I needed to say, listen, Dad, I think it's time that we got professional help with your investments. While well, I'm with a guy, you know what? I think we need some. We need a whole. You need to get on everything under one roof, and it, it would just be better. And that that's where we kind of started the process. You know, and your dad lived a long life, and and uh, you know to a certain extent, mine did as well. But you know, the fact is, is that. You do things along the way, right? I mean, you buy a mutual fund or you get into an insurance policy or you buy an annuity. And, and uh, you know, Dave and I like to sometimes talk about the mishmash that people get in, you know, whether it's a kitchen drawer or someplace in your office where you store the statements that come every month. I'd like to see the person that does not have a mishmash yeah, by you know, this you, point in life. Right, absolutely. Right. By the time you're, you know, you've done some things and maybe it was your brother-in-law or your neighbor who suggested something, or you met with a financial advisor and they put you down one course and then it wasn't the right course for you. That's what happens with a lot of people. And that's why we really, when we started looking at how we wanted to address the Fox Valley in this community, we said, let's offer that free portfolio review because it's a great first step to say, we understand that you've done things in your financial life and not everything that you've done up to date has been stupid. So let's take a look at it and say, let's coordinate these things, make changes where it's appropriate, keep the things that are good, look at the things that could use adjustment, buy more, sell something, whatever it might be. But that free portfolio review is a great place to start. It's a non-committal. It's a good way to get to learn a little bit about Annex and get yourself organized. You get to go at it at AnnexWealth.com. Otherwise, 903-9800, right in Appleton on College Avenue at 4321 College Avenue. This is the, uh, the Annex Wealth Management Show, WHBY. Know the difference. Team. Technology. Trust. This is the Annex Wealth Management Show on WHBY. Here's Danny Clayton. Warning, warning. We are going to talk about taxes. I'm just kidding, Mandy. <laughs> Welcome back. Mandy Nowashinsky, our tax planner at Annex Wealth Management and a CFP, right? Exactly. And that and marathon runner. Is that what you are, too? Half marathon. Half marathon Yeah, i got to work my way up. All right. Here we are in November. Welcome to November. We're year-end tax planning. It's that time, huh? It is. You know, when we talk about year-end tax planning, we talk about it, you know, in December. But you got to start thinking about it now because by the time you get to December, if you want to do some advanced techniques, you're really going to run out of time soon. So we start talking about it now. Are these for individuals or businesses or what? This is you no know, more focused on individuals and kind of getting a hold on what their tax picture looks like for 2018 with all these changes that we've had with tax law. Now, are these things that would be surprises otherwise start to fill out the, the tax return and there are things that we forgot about? This is more kind of taking a, like a snapshot of where you are today. What income have you had so far year to date? 
And then we kind of look to see what do we anticipate for the remainder of the year. For those who hold mutual funds or invest in a mutual fund, the biggest question is capital gain distributions. I mean like haul out statements and things? How do we find this out? For Annex clients, it's very simple. We have a tax estimation report that we run here. Otherwise, if you have outside assets, yeah, it's pulling up your most recent statement, which would be hopefully soon the October statements. Got it. Number one, Roth conversion. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so Roth conversions are taking money from your IRA, paying tax on it strategically, and then putting it into a Roth IRA where it grows tax-free. You typically do this in low tax years. For a lot of people, that'd be the first couple years after retirement before Social Security and then required minimum distributions start. So we kind of look at your picture, and if you're in one of, we call it a sweet spot, those first couple years post-retirement, you know, we'll look at that and see if if you're a good candidate for that. Caution, though. We used to be able to undo them. So you get to tax time. You did this Roth conversion. You go, oh, my goodness, that was a mistake. You could undo it. Put it back into the IRA. Pretend it never happened. Can't do that anymore. There's no undos. Was the undo a good thing? It was because what it was is, let's say you did a plan and you did this Roth conversion and your income was actually higher than you anticipated. You would end up paying more tax than you thought. So instead of paying more tax, you undo it and kind of pretend it didn't happen. So who was the big meanie that took it away? <laughs> tax reform took it away. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, tax reform. Okay, on to realizing gains. Could you define that, please? When I talk about realizing gains, I'm looking at uh, taxable accounts. So if you own stocks or ETFs or a mutual fund, you look at realizing gain or selling the asset, paying tax on the gain. Again, you would do that in a low-income year because in lower-income tax brackets for federal, Capital gains rate is 0%. So you could sell that stock, pay no tax from a federal perspective, and then rebuy it. Kind of resets your cost basis. So if, you know, in a couple of years when taxes are higher for you, you've already paid tax on some of that appreciation at 0%. So it's kind of a way to help with distribution planning or if you anticipate needing assets to put yourself in a better tax position. That sounds sophisticated, complicated. You, you need to work with a tax professional for that, I would think. You would, and mainly because we look at tax brackets. So if you're in a lower tax bracket, granted, if you go above it, it's just that $1 you go over is taxed at the next rate. So if you're $1 over 12%, that one next dollar is taxed at 22%. So that's a 10% difference. That can be a lot. Have you seen that happen? Yes. And the- you know, $1 is okay. That's a rounding error. But when you go 10, 20,000 over, then you're like, oh, 10% on that is a lot. Rounding error. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Let's talk about charitable giving. That, that gets into year-end tax planning. It really does. And that's the biggest change, again, is tax reform and how they changed itemized deductions for us. Most people won't be itemizing anymore. Standard deduction is much, much higher, and they change some of the itemized deduction structure, so most people won't be itemizing. But if you give to charity, you need to review how much you've given. Have you given a decent amount where you may already be itemizing this year, where it might make sense to pull in next year's donations and actually make them in December? We call that, you know, doubling up or lumping your donations, because that way you get a benefit from a tax perspective of giving to charity. You're just giving a year ahead of time, so that way you get that tax benefit. Have you seen anything where churches or charities uh, are going to get clobbered? Yes, so I have seen. So, you know, churches, charities all all across the board have seen less inflows because of this. And, you know, people give for various of reasons, but they might be structuring the way they give differently now because of tax reform, and they are definitely seeing less revenue. We're talking about year-end tax planning, and our last one is the reminder about tax law changing with real estate taxes. Is that it? Yeah, so one of the things, you know, a lot of people may have done in the past is doubling up real estate 
estate taxes. Because in the state of Wisconsin, you can't you have that flexibility to pay two years worth of real estate taxes in one year. I don't know who these people are that can do that, but okay, <laughs> there, there are those people. So there okay. are those people out there. So you would be paying, you know, this year's 2018s in January of 19, and then you would pay 2019's yep. real estate taxes in December. Get two years. Tax reform took that away. They basically said between what you pay to the state of Wisconsin in income taxes and what you pay in real estate taxes is capped at $10,000. So doubling up, it's lost Mm because you're going to be over that $10,000 cap and you don't get to deduct. It's over that $10,000 cap. So now we're saying you don't need to double up anymore. What I've been telling people we work with here is just continue to pay on the same schedule you always have been paying on. If you pay in December every year, just keep paying in December of every year. There's a Wisconsin property tax credit of $300. So every year you pay your property taxes state of Wisconsin gives you $300 on your tax return. If you miss a year, you lose that $300 to the state. Within the tax professional world, is everybody expecting just a just a train wreck this year? Yes, because, you know, we're in November and we're still waiting for clarification on some of the tax reform items. I mean, we're trying to do year-end planning and we're still got some questions out there that we need clarification on. So by the time actually filing season comes, we're hoping to have some more clarification. Mandy Nowashinsky, our tax planner at Annex Wealth Management, also a CFP and a half marathoner. She doesn't <laughs> run for the fitness. She runs to reduce the stress. Yes. Right? <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Boy, she's entering her crazy season. I feel for tax professionals. Yeah, it's, you know, especially those that are trying to run half marathons. I think if I <laughs> added it all up, from the time I first walked and started running, I might be at 13.1. Well, I, I, I'm on record. I would not run out of a burning house. I mean, I don't <laughs> run. I'm ju- My dad ran. My son runs. I just am not yeah. built for it. Speaking of not built for it, hey, Derek Felsky, welcome back. Um, so you've been watching the, the Apple story this afternoon? Yeah, I just, just listened to part of the conference call, and one of the things that came out, and it is Apple's no longer going to give guidance on unit sales of, of some of their major products, the iPhone, iPad, and the um, computer. So, Because it can only dip and, and be punished for that or what? Well, I just think you know, they want to de-emphasize the fact that they're a, a, com, you know, a commodity producer, if you will, and, and enhance the fact that they're more of a services business. So they're going to talk more about web services, software margins, and the like. So the stock market Stock investors in the aftermarket didn't really like that. They they kind of feel like you know more granularity is always better. So it should be a challenging opening. So I would I would advise our listeners to take a look at some of the companies that have recently reported, posted better than expected earnings, raised guidance, and look for a buy point down below because we could see some weakness at the opening. So guys, why if they get a sniffle, does the rest of the market get a cold? And I, I know the answer, but but I got a text question on that. Yeah, it's market cap. I mean, when you look at market cap weighted indexes, or when you look at their position in the economy, you know, you look at the FANG stocks, Derek, and you look at the big players, the Googles, the Apple, Apples, the Alphabet, the Amazons, and, and they move the market. I mean, and so Apple will move the market probably tomorrow morning. They, they do. The other two things that have occurred recently that I think our listeners ought to be aware of is, one, mutual funds take tax losses into October 31st. That that has passed. At the same time, as more and more S&P companies report, more and more S&P companies are able to announce buybacks. And that has been a very strong supportive factor for the markets for the last several years. So again, this is, our, in our view, a buying opportunity at some level close to the lows, perhaps made on Monday. How about rebalancing at this point? I mean, a lot of people have had a pretty good run up uh, over the last couple of years, specifically in stocks. You know, the S&P 500 has enjoyed a couple of good years in a row. The bond markets, not so much. Emerging markets have had a, had, had a really tough start to this year. How about rebalancing in your 401k or in, in just in your portfolio in general? Well, I mean, I do that on a daily basis, Mark, as you know, and, you know, and effectuating order tickets for our uh, relationship managers and their clients. 
And and basically what I'm seeing now is, you know, we were selling a lot of tech, you know, several months ago on a rebalance. Basically, tech was leading the market on the upside, got expensive, so we reduced that a little bit. But now we're actually seeing, you know, buys of emerging markets, which are really under pressure and have been very weak. Um, also, financials. So we're getting closer to the FOMC meeting that's coming up in December again, and we expect that there may be a rate raise at that meeting as well. And if there is, what does that mean for uh, bond investors that are listening? Well, if, if they raise rates in November, that will... Tr- December, I said. That, you know, no, you said November. But oh. it, November would have really surprised me, but December, I totally believe that's going to happen. But what we need is some Fed governor out there at some speech to talk about the weakness or the slow, slowdown in housing, the slowdown in auto sales. And then all of a sudden, those three-dot plots they're forecasting for next year become two. People feel a little bit better about the interest rate environment. They feel a little bit better about the valuation of fixed income and equities. And they start buying in. Last thing, jobs report tomorrow morning. 202,000 is what's expected. Uh, unemployment rate at 3.7. Looking for wage inflation. Is that the number to look for? That is that is what the Fed would look at look for. We've in the past said that a four percent annualized rate of increase in wages is a real real problem for the Fed. That would cause them to tighten aggressively. We don't think it'll be that strong. But the one thing I will f- point out is there are there are more people. Employers are looking for people and they can't find people. And that I think might be holding wages down because if even though you have a job opening, if you can't find someone who has the skills to to man that position, or I shouldn't have said man. That could be misconstrued. You're fine. Uh, okay, uh, but anyway, you know, the job market is strong. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Um, Mark Oswald, thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you in a week. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Thank you for listening. It is Thursday, November 1st, and this is the Annex Wealth Management Show, WHBY. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.